Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. If you're new here, welcome here. Welcome to the podcast for the very first time. I'm glad that you decided to come in and join and listen. Um, today I have a very special guest, but before I get into who that is, let's, um, I'm going to say straight up, if you're in any kind of danger, get into a safety plan. Call 911. Don't put yourself in danger to listen to the podcast, please. Um, so the National Domestic Violence Hotline number, that number is 1-800-799-7233. Um, and if you're in need of finding a shelter or finding an advocate, someone in your area, the National Domestic Violence Hotline number is a, a great place to start. Um, if you're in, if you're actually in the middle of trying to get in contact with someone through that hotline and you're having issues or difficulties getting through, I suggest um, looking up domesticshelters.org. That is another successful way to look up where your shelters are in your area, um, numbers in your area, where you can reach um, out to your local organizations that can get you help with um, any kind of domestic violence issues that you may be having. So today's guest, I'm very excited to have her, and I'll get into the story in a second, but her name is Rachel Louise Snyder, and if you have not heard of her, you're living under a rock, which I was living under a rock um, about two years ago until I discovered her, and so I'll let her kind of tell you who she is and what, what she's done um, in her career so far. She, I, I will say she's a professor and author, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but... Yeah, yeah. So if you're ready to start, we'll we'll start talking. Yeah, I am thrilled to be here with you, and I appreciate you so much um, reaching out to me. So for listeners who don't know, I wrote a book. It was my third book called No Visible Bruises, What We Don't Know About Domestic Violence Can Kill Us. And um, it's really a book that tries to, I think, um, topple over some of the myths that we still carry around domestic violence. And uh, it came out in, let's see, uh, June of 2019 in hardcover and then a year later in paperback. So that's it. So I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah. And so um, I started my podcast in 2019 in uh, in February, which is about to be the four-year anniversary, I think, February the 8th, I'll have the anniversary coming up. But how I found this wonderful human being that I'm speaking with is I had gotten an offer to be a full-time case manager and advocate for domestic violence services. And, and I took that job. And whenever I walked into my office for the very first time, her book, No More, No Visible Bruises, um, What We Don't Know About Domestic Violence, um, Will Kill Us. Is that, did I say it right? What we, uh, well, what we don't know about domestic violence can I, kill us. Yeah, right? I probably said it backwards, but that book was sitting on a shelf. And I looked at that book and I said, huh, Rachel Louise Snyder, I'm going to have her on the podcast one day. <laughs> and I just kept on seeing that book. Like your book kept popping up everywhere I went. Wow. And it was, kind of amazing. I know it was so strange. And I was like, this is this is God. Like something's going on here. Well, I've got to connect with this lady. Um, she's quite special, and that's what you I. Know, go it's ahead. funny because I I was like when I was writing the book, I felt this pull of like, okay, we have 
400 years of history in this country, right? Mm. And how many of those years have we cared about domestic violence? Mm, like none. <laughs> right? Or even just like, you know, let's just, let's be generous and say since the women's movement of the 70s, it's been slightly on our radar. So when I was writing that book, I really was in my mind thinking, how can I write a book that is about domestic violence but readers will be so compelled by like, you know, from page to page that they'll, they'll forget they're reading a book about domestic violence, right? Or they won't, they'll be, they'll be so compelled to finish it because we had hundreds of years of history of not caring. So I really felt the weight of trying to write something that was worthy of readership, really. I mean, that's exactly the next. Well, I was actually going to ask you what compelled you to actually write this book, but you just basically told us. But um, well, I mean, sorry, I'm so sorry. No, no. You. I'm such a, my, I come from a family of salespeople, so we're really talkers. Um, I mean, what compelled me that that's like how I wrote the book. Mm -hmm. But the reason I started writing the book in the first place was that I had as a journalist, I had traveled all over the world doing stories, you know, of, of human rights issues and women's issues, you know, women raped for sports or women married off as young girls or women, you know, mm -hmm. imprisoned for love crimes, like all these stories around the world and domestic violence sat at the intersection of all of their stories. But I never, I never even asked them about it because I was like, well, I'm doing a story on rape or not, not domestic violence or I'm doing a story on, you know, these women imprisoned in Kabul or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I was uh, standing on a driveway of a friend of mine and I met this woman who worked at this domestic violence agency in Massachusetts. She was his sister. And, you know, I said, Oh, what do you do as, as we do in America? And mm -hmm. she said, Oh, you know, I work at a local domestic violence agency. And I was like, Oh, cool. What do you do? And she said, oh, well, we've come up with a program called High Risk Teams to try to predict domestic violence homicide before it happens in order to prevent it. And it, I'll tell you what, Misty, it blew my mind. Like, I just thought, how, how could that ever be possible? Something that happens behind closed doors, something that is so off the radar. And for the rest of that afternoon... I talked to her nonstop and she just dispelled one myth after another that even I, as like a progressive, educated, well-traveled woman, didn't realize I was buying into. It was such a moment of humility for me and learning and realizing how even the system I was part of, which was the media, was getting it so wrong. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I'm, yeah, that's very intriguing. However, you know, I mean, it's true. It's true. You know, there's there are so many myths, and you know, there's so many so much shaming and blaming victims, like the whole oh, yeah. yeah, the whole yeah. blaming of oh, uh, you know, well, you should have left him. Just why didn't you leave him? You know, yeah. or you know, and that's the one of the main questions that everyone asks the victim. Exactly, and yeah. the whole first third of my book deals with that question. Yeah, Why yeah. didn't she just leave? Right. And I'm like, you know, I, I always reckon it to, um, you know, being in a, in a situation where your house is burgled 
mm-hmm. they take your most valuable stuff and the cops come and go, oh my God, this is terrible. You're the victim of this heinous crime. Well, we're going to take you with us and the perpetrator is going to live in your house. Huh. That's what we're asking domestic violence victims right. to, to, to do when we say, how, you know, the impetus for change is on you. How come you're not the one who left? Right. Like it, it just, it's whenever anyone asks me that question, I just know that they've done no homework on domestic violence. They don't even understand like the basics of it. No, no, not whatsoever. And then you've also got so many people and, and not trying to, to attack the religious community by no means. Um, I'm very spiritual myself. I believe in the, you know, the good Lord. Um, but in the religious communities, and I live in the Bible Belt, you know, mm-hmm. straight right up in the middle. So you get so many religion, um, religious people who go to church. They're like, just honey, just work it out. You can forgive him. Oh, yeah. You just forgive the, him. There, there's, I mean, I, I grew up in that too. My, my mm. real mother was Jewish. But okay. She died when I was eight. Mm. And my father became evangelical after that. So mm-hmm. we, through the 80s, like we were, you know, um, Jerry Falwell, Jimmy Swagger, like mm-hmm. all those guys. Mm-hmm. And I remember my stepmother, actually, my, my memoir that's coming out in May deals with this a little bit. Um, my stepmother told me, only on her deathbed as she was dying that she had felt really cowed by the patriarchy of the evangelical world and she mm. felt like she couldn't stand up for certain things in our family and you know i think i think they do a lot of good i have an aunt and uncle who are christian and i they are my beloved my they're like parents to me my parents are are, are all gone now so they're like parents to me but so many of our faith communities and it's not just christianity it's it's islam it's you know uh, uh very devout you know judaism wow. i mean crosses the catholic they keep they hold women in place through this patriarchy and they would rather see a woman in a situation where her life is threatened than sure. allow her her freedom i mean it is disturbing Yeah, very, very. And then also I've run into also this thing. And and I think this might be why I started this podcast in such a way. And then I have another theory is why I started. But deep down, like subconsciously, I think that I started because I couldn't talk about the abuse that happened. Like I was I was completely silenced for many years. And, and a lot of times, you know, I would say something to a family member or someone in, you know, that I was close to in the community, maybe a friend or whatever, and they wouldn't want to hear about it. They wouldn't yeah. want to hear about that abuse. They wouldn't want to hear yeah. about the truth and what actually happened. And, and it makes me kind of wonder, well, did they even believe it? You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you think kept you silent for all those years? Um, because I believe it was because, and then, you know, before we ever started, I had said that I, I I don't care whether I get judged or not. But back when I was younger, in my early 20s, like after I got out of the abuse at 19 years old, I was a child still. And so, yeah. but but in the community, being such a, a very tight-knit community, right? So everybody knows everybody. And at that time, my grandmother was living. And, oh, you weren't supposed to talk about your life. You wasn't supposed to go go out here and tell people what, you know, what you were doing in your life. Everything was secretive. 
And if it was ever concerning abuse, that was something you never even talked about because you didn't want to be judged for it. Yeah. Uh, and, and I kind of wondered, well, why would they judge me for being abused? But it was almost right. like that goes back to victim blaming. You, right. You're the blame. You're the blame. What did you do to cause this? Or, you know, what did you do to him for him not to, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, it I was mean, a whole thing. Yeah, it was a whole thing of shame. And I was also ashamed. Like, I was, I felt right. shame. Yeah, because I was raped um, by him. And he was my husband, but but he didn't rape me because he was my husband, right? So I didn't right. feel like that would be believed either if I ever came out and talked about that. Um, well, and it wasn't even against the law in right. the states back, yeah. back in the day. Yeah, say, right? yeah. That, right, I mean, yeah. Until the 70s in this country, research around domestic abuse regularly said she, he does this because she acts this way. Mm -hmm. And so mm. there is this kind of lingering effect. Like it hasn't been that long since that was how our, has, that was how abuse was positioned in the quote unquote scientific literature, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and and what really, really affects me, I think, or had affected me after I got out of the abuse was that, you know, there were people who witnessed it. Like people actually saw him like not the far out of me, bust my lip so horribly, um, blood falling on a white T-shirt and completely soaking it in a Walmart parking lot. Um, and no one said a word. No one called the police. Nobody reached out. No one said anything. Like, you've seen this violent act happen to this young girl, but never right. said a word, you know. Do you, do you think that would happen today? Do you feel like it's different today, or do you feel like that we are still in that same place? I mean, somewhat. I mean, somewhat, you know, like, because if you look at Gabby Petito, if yep. you look at her story and, and people were witness, I think that people did call the police whenever they seen it. Um, but yeah. I, I do think that's, that it's kind of like maybe some people would call. But then we still have people who are uneducated or who want to turn a blind eye, you know, a blind eye. Well, yeah. that's her husband. That's their business. You know, this yeah. is their business. And it's sad that we allow or we think that that's OK for a husband to strike a female or their wife or anybody, you know. Um, and it's sad that we, we live in a culture that does stand back and doesn't let, you know, doesn't speak, doesn't say anything. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I actually think. It was either Mississippi or Alabama. You'll mm -hmm. know better than I will. Mm -hmm. But there was a few years ago a local congressman who clocked his wife. Oh right yeah, in public. Was that Alabama oh, or was gosh. that Mississippi? I wanna, I wanna say Mississippi. I wanna say. I want you to say Mississippi too, because you're in Alabama. <laughs> but you know, I, I remember that happening, but I don't remember what state. Yeah, I can't remember either. But it's one of those two, and then. What do they do the very next day? They put out a joint statement saying, you know, we're working on our issues together. Please allow us our privacy. Yeah. And it's like, what other crime except domestic violence is that is that an acceptable response? I mean, there is no 
burglary that would happen to go back to that same parallel. There is no hold up, like, you know, mugging that would happen where you would point out a, 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 the victim and the perpetrator would point out a joint sta- statement saying, please allow us our privacy in, in, in the moment of this crime. And yet punching your wife is a crime. Like it is assault. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I just think that that to me is one of the one of the things that just makes my blood boil a little bit. Like, how can we in 2023 or I guess it was it was probably three or four years ago now that that happened. But Mm -hmm. how can we have such outdated, outmoded ideas about, you know, what is, in fact, a criminal act? It's so disheartening <laughs> do you do you really think that <clears throat> do you really think that that kind of goes back to what we were saying about religion do you think that that has something to do with religious beliefs or do you think that that's just women are behind still do you think that we still live in a, a day and age where you know it's okay to do this because either you're a you're married and you're a female yeah you're entitled you're so- I think it's um, I think it's a couple of things. I would say it is like in a literal sense, it's based on our body of laws, which mm-hmm. come from the Middle Ages, England, which said a man's home is his castle, and everything in that home is his property, and that mm-hmm. included at the time children, wives, cattle, <laughs> you yeah. know, the walls, mm-hmm. everything. And so that doctrine has been carried forward in our body of laws. So I think there's, I think that's a part of it. But I also think our body of laws come from the lessons of religious patriarchy, right? Mm. Where women, women couldn't own property. Because you look at other cultures, like Native Americans, for example, and they had a matrilineal culture. Mm -hmm. And there are still matrilineal cultures today in the world not so Mm -hmm. many but there are so i think it is in part like western interpretation legal interpretation of what started as probably religious patriarchy but i also think it's what you said too that women are behind in so many ways like we are we don't earn what men earn for the same job right we don't hold positions of power we've never been elected to the president and and representation really matters it really does i mean you you have to be able to see yourself before you could take up space right you have to Mm -hmm. somehow see yourself in that space so i guess that's what i guess that's what i would say what do you think (laughs) well i mean I, i i agree with you i mean to me that's absolutely like what you were saying you know we've we've kind of doctored in you know all of that and then some and then women are behind and so also what what really deters me is to hear other females also you know you'll hear other females and i think this was a lot of why also i never you know you asked me why didn't you you know speak up and and talk about your story and things like that well because other women around me in my community were married and some were of course married to good guys i mean that didn't that weren't abusive okay so so they had been married now 20 30 years to the same man oh they didn't go they didn't they wouldn't put up with that there's no way they would ever go through domestic violence right so 
But unless you're in a woman's situation that's been through domestic violence, you don't know what you would put up with because the love of your life was not abusive. Kudos. Not saying you wouldn't put up with it because I'm sure some women would not. Maybe they would leave right then. Um, but, But that's another part of blaming. But I have actually seen women attack other women. So it's yeah. not, you know what I'm saying? So so yeah. it's also women not supporting women, you yeah. know, in a sense, which yeah. is very disheartening. Well, you know, you see this, um, you see that it's prevalent still today. Like there is, there's actually statistics on this in courtrooms where if juries are made up primarily of women, they will often not uh acquit a woman for for example for killing her abuser mm-hmm. the women are often much harder on other women um and i think i think partly i mean i think there's a lot of reasons for that one is when you have only a slice of power you don't have access to power in the way that men do um you sorry my daughter just called me and it threw off my concentration um when you don't have access to the same halls of power that men do you you want to cozy up to those who do have power right Mm. so that's partly this identification and i think also there is fear like they're there before the grace of god go i right like Mm -hmm. i've never been abused or i can't see myself in the reaction of this abuse victim therefore i will i will other this woman or I will other this person and not find our common humanity or whatever. So I don't know. I, um, it's not a, it's not an unusual thing. I mean, we saw this, I don't want to like, you know, make us go off topic, but like we saw this in the Brett Kavanaugh hearings Mm -hmm. where Christine Blasey Ford to me was like the very pinnacle of courage to get up and testify nationally on, you know, live on, on television against a man who was positioned to be one of the most powerful people in our nation. And women just attacked her. Mm. They didn't attack him. He didn't have to move out of his house with his family for two years and go into hiding, but they attacked her. Right. Yeah. So I, I just, I have a problem with women attacking women. <laughs> so, yeah. cause I, I mean, I'm such an empowering human, you know, and, and I'm all about empowering women, um, you know, and, and cheering and being the females cheerleader. But, but, you know, you, you see so much jealousy in women. Like I've never been one of the type of women to be jealous of another woman um, or to envy another woman for some odd reason, you know, because of her position or something she's doing that's wonderful in this world. I uplift and uphold, um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of being a, a female and, and I absolutely love, um, you know, other women, but with, with domestic violence, I've often saw, you know, a lot of women who don't support women who are in, in abuse and they do, they do tend to shame, um, women awfully hard but of course yeah. it, you know and, and that's both i mean it, male and female both but um more so kind of females um and which is i guess people would be surprised by that but um yeah, yeah we're, we're we all live in the same society so mm-hmm. we are 
you know, we are susceptible to the same pressures. Like there's nothing special that, that would necessarily make a woman not succumb to those same pressures. Right. So I don't, I find it, um, not surprising when women don't necessarily, you know, support other women. It's disappointing for sure, but it's Mm -hmm. not surprising to me. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I really want you to talk about your memoir, your new book coming up. Um, oh, you're the first person that's asked me. So this is exciting. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> yeah. Cause we got some, we got a few more minutes left on the podcast. So I'd love to hear about this. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. it's called women. We buried women. We burned. It will be out May 23rd. It's available for pre-order now everywhere. Um, And it's really about, uh, so I I mentioned earlier that my mother died when I was eight and my father became evangelical and he, he married a woman who was very, I, I met her two months before the wedding. Um, And so it was all very shocking to me. He moved us across the country. Suddenly my Jewish you know, roots were completely gone and I was thrust into this very evangelical life and I rebelled in every possible way. I mean, I did drugs very early. I blew off school all the time. I snuck out of the house. I was not a teenager that one would want to raise by choice. And eventually I was expelled from high school and my dad and mom, there were four of us older kids from there their two mar- previous marriages and they kicked all four of us out on the same day in 1985 mm. and I was 16 I dropped out of school and so it's really about the way in which I had been raised in this evangelical world to fear everything that was secular mm. but that I it was really the secular world that kind of saved me and eventually I went on I went to college and grad school I'm a full professor now I went to and I've traveled to 60 countries around the world it's a very unlikely uh, <laughs> um, narrative I guess to one's life but it's really about um, finding connection through salvation and surviving and resilience and um, also that the, the people who suffer from the the rules that men make and they still predominantly make most of the rules are always first and most of all the women and children. And so that's, that's kind of what my, what my book is about. I love that so much. I love that so much. Um, You're very, I mean, I'm sorry for interrupting. Let's say like in in one way, it's also, it also sort of like, is like a precursor to no visible bruises, even though no visible bruises came first, it sort of answers why I have this, um, attraction to, uh, I don't know, to like people who are surviving Mm. stuff that the world throws at them, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and what's really strange is so do I. So, um, you know, I, I also am intrigued by survivors, um, and how they were able to survive and, you know, hearing other women's stories um, is what this podcast is all about. And, and women like you, um, very powerful, intellectual, um, bright, smart. Um, that's what this, you know, this is what the podcast is about. Real, authentic, 
Um, and that's kind of what it's all about. It, it doesn't get edited. You know, me and you had talked about that before. And and so I guess that's why it's had some staying power since 2019. It's it's still kind of here, you know, and yeah, and, 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 sure. yeah, and people are still listening. So I've said until people stop listening, it's going to be they're stuck with me and stuck with this voice. And, you know, I, 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 I'm very big believer in women having voices. And, you know, and for women to be able to voice what happened to them and their stories and, you know, never give up because, you know, you never know what's coming around the next corner. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So real quick, like, because we were like, I think a minute till we cut off. So where can people find you? You said to pre-order the book. They can go. Yeah. I'm on Twitter at... RLS rights mm-hmm. and Instagram at RLS rights. And then my website is globalgrit.com, like world dirt. Mm. <laughs> and, um, you know, you can find my both, all of these, but I've actually written four books, but you could skip the first two because they were kind of practice. Um, you can find them all on Amazon or bookshop.org. Uh, just search for Rachel Louise Snyder and they should all come up. Well, thank you, Miss Snyder, for coming on the podcast. I appreciate everything you do. You're a fabulous writer. Don't hang up the phone when we get off, but the recording is over with and I'm fixing to stop. But guys, thank you for, for listening and go check out Rachel's books. Um, you will not regret it one bit. And I will talk to you on the next podcast. Thanks for coming and joining in. Bye guys.